the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. With sports leagues inching closer to a return, there's no better place to keep up with everything happening than The Athletic. Their newsroom delivers all access, reporting, and powerful stories you won't find anywhere else. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of great content built around you as the sports fan. There's no ads, no clickbait, just sports coverage that bring you closer to the heart of the game. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. Again, that's theathletic.com slash spottrack. Grab the app. Today, we're going to bring in Scott Allen, talk a little bit about college football. I know. There's not much to talk about with college football because it seems like the end is is here. Um, that's really what we want to discuss. Uh, just the financial impact, what this is going to mean, what really the, the ramp up financially it has been for college football over the past decade or so. Um, we got a bunch of numbers to get to in that. bunch of interesting stories that I uncovered going down the long rabbit hole that is college football. Um, but I really just wanted to shed some financial light on where the state of football is in terms of college athletics as we head towards what at least seems to be a postponed season at best. Um, but we'll see more information as it comes out this week, of course. I also want to touch a little bit on what's going on with baseball and maybe a, a similar conversation we have there. And we'll see if Scott's got anything from the basketball world to talk about as well. Today's episode is also brought to you by Dynasty Owner. Do you think you are smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? Here's your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office and the business side of owning the NFL franchise. Build a roster of players using actual NFL contracts, actual NFL salaries. Can you build a winning team while staying under the salary cap? Visit DynastyOwner.com and join a league today. Cash prizes. There's a chase for the ring competition. Tell them Spotrack sent you to get an extra bonus as you join. They've got a great app, a great website. They do a lot of social media to keep up with it. These guys are on top of it. We've been, I've been on their show. We're going to have them on soon as well to talk a little bit about this product and really the whole fantasy football spectrum as a whole as well. So really interesting situation going on as sports returns and the NFL tries to become part of that circle as well. All right, let's bring in Scott Allen. Let's talk about some college money, some lack of college sports, uh, you know, all that fun stuff that's happening right now. Scott, welcome back to the show. Yeah, great to be back again. I'm home. I'm, I'm in the office. I'm <laughs> not staring at a beautiful lake in the Adirondacks right now. So there's a, a bit of a setback there. But the positive is, is I have a decent internet connection and I can <laughs> and, a tele, and a television so I can actually watch what I believe from what I'm hearing and reading was one heck of a weekend of sports. Uh, it was all tons of basketball, tons of hockey, a good golf, NASCAR racing, race, really good golf, <laughs> golf championship. Yeah. So Good to be back in the mix of it and nice to have sports back, at least at some capacity. But we're going to talk about a situation that's probably not looking so promising in college football. I want to kind of stay away from the negative side of the COVID-19 situation because, boy, have we, uh, as, a, as a community, it's pretty much consumed our lives, obviously. Um, look, there's a lot to get to with the football money. And unfortunately, that doesn't include players, which should we start there? I mean, that's a big, sure. that's a huge part of this, right? That's a huge part of why college football isn't going to happen this fall because for lack of a better term, college football players are guinea pigs, right? Their yeah. horse is being put out to race. And if they don't succeed well, well, you know what happens. Um, I, 
that's a huge part of it. Not being professional, not having money tied to players. I mean, look, we've had some opt-outs. I've kept up with a couple of these college opt-outs because they're interesting that players would come up, you know, this early in the game would come out and say, it's not for me. I'm not going to play. What's your overarching thoughts on how financial, I guess a lack of finances to players, the amateur side of it factors into this? Well, I think it has a huge effect. I mean, the fact that, you know, is it parents, Scott? I mean, you're, you've got kids. I mean, they're not obviously college age. If you're a parent and your kid's going back to sophomore year at Iowa, I don't know, example, Arizona State, I don't know. Is it, is it a factor? Yeah, it is. I mean, if, yeah, they can still get an education. If you're, we're outside of sports in itself, I mean, yeah, they can get an education. I know a lot of uh, friends of mine that have kids that are in college and uh, one goes to the West Coast. She uh, flies every year from Virginia all the way to the West Coast. She's going to go virtual this year. Uh, so, and I know a lot of schools are going that route, but the, the financial impact, I mean, in that case, they may save some because you're going to pay for tuition, but I don't have to do room and board and you know, food and any extra expenses for travel or anything like that. So in some cases, some students may save money if they're going to go fully online from having to do all those other expenditures that they would usually have to take on. Uh, From an athletic standpoint, you know, some of these athletes, they're getting scholarship some are not. So that may have an even bigger impact for those ones that are not on scholarship and having to flip the bill. Um, so it, it depends on probably the athlete situation and, and the sport that you're in, because obviously we know football scholarships are usually more than softball or rowing or any of those other sports, um, so, yeah, it, it's going to have an impact now and into the future, depending on when college students and athletes can get back on campuses and when uh, schedules actually start ramping up again. You mentioned scholarships. I think that's interesting. Um, I know opting out of the season meant you would have you, your scholarship would have been retained I assume this, I mean, this is just going to, is this going to toll? Is this like the NFL contracts? Is the entire college season just going to toll? And if they can do it in the spring, obviously that'll be the case. Um, I imagine there'll be a whole nother wave of opt-outs in the spring if there's spring football and, you know, players are either eligible for the draft or graduating or, you know, you know how that's all going to work. It's going to be quite a modified version of college football in the spring if we get there. Um, but I guess that leads us into this bigger conversation, which is, the impact. Um, that's kind of where I put my head this morning as I woke up and realized that everybody was about to start talking about the fact that college football was not happening this fall. That seems to be what's buzzing. So if you're listening to this a day later and that has been the case already, I apologize, but that's sort of the vibe we're getting right now is that all the major conferences are pretty much on the cusp of at least postponing. I don't think anybody's going to use the word canceled at this point. That seems like a scary word based on the, the monetary figures I'm looking at in front of me. Um, I have like seven different categories that I want to get to in some degree, and I don't really know the best order to get to them. So I'll kind of use you, Scott, to bounce around a little bit. 
Uh, let's start with just general impact. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the town I, I went to research immediately when I thought about there being no college football over the next three months was Tuscaloosa, which makes, I think, a lot of sense, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. this gigantic college football team with this ridiculously high-paid coach, coaches. I mean, the entire staff is just ridiculously paid. But Tuscaloosa, Alabama is, you know, it's like an old town. It's it's just like a, a somewhat historic, simple, small town. They, of course, other people, you know, actual reporters have done the work already on this. So the numbers are there for me to, for me to read here. Just having that campus closed, which it is right now. And I believe it, I believe they're eligible for remote learning pretty much the whole year here down there. $600,000 a week lost just to have the campus closed. That's the economic impact of not having people there to go to lunches, to use the bank, all the stuff around there. I mean, you know, the gas stations, just an economic impact. They're estimating it's $600,000 per week, just not just to not have school open. If you tack on football and if football doesn't happen this season, so if it's a full cancellation, again, I think the plan is for many of these teams that run a spring league and recoup as much as possible, especially from the TV, which we'll get to. But let's just say it doesn't happen. And it's a very, there's a very good po- possibility that, you know, this COVID situation is not any better next March. So they're, they're estimating $175 million lost to Tuscaloosa from an economic impact standpoint. I, first of all, I, I can't overstate how small Tuscaloosa is. And, and I'm, not, I'm not joking when I say that, you know, this isn't like a commercialized town at all. The entire city runs off this season. I mean, it, it is built. If, if you live near a stadium, which I do, I live near the Bill Stadium. There are, I mean, there's a 20 mile radius where the businesses around there are, are, are literally feeding <laughs> the fans. They're feeding Bill's fans here in Richard Park. I have to imagine that's exactly how this college town is set up in Tuscaloosa. You know, everything revolves around the epicenter that is the football game and $170 million lost is no small, that's a big deal. I mean, that is something that that city is not going to be able to recoup for three or four years, in my opinion. I mean, if you're getting, even if you're getting some kind of economic impact, you know, like a, like some sort of relief, federal or state relief, you're not getting that for, for five years. So that's how damaging one missed season is from a hometown impact. Let, let's keep the college, the college finances out of it for now. We'll get to it, of course. But that's to me is the bigger story here. It is the, it's the mom and pop. It's the, it's the local businesses who are literally in place because of football. That's the only reason that they are able to pay their rent right there. So that's the big deal. That, that to me is the most important thing. It's, I'm, I'm kind of glad we stuck on it first here because there are these little cities all over the country, including these power five college football programs. I mean, you, if you think about the towns that these, that these places exist in, you know, these aren't major cities. None of the major cities have a major college football program. That's not how it works. Those are, it's a hypocritical statement really. Um, so that, that's, what's going to be the biggest deal is these small towns, and look, to some degree, the NFL situation could be exactly the same. I mean, I, I'm sitting here in Orchard Park. We're a small little town. You know, we, there's a ridiculous percentage tied to Bills fans. 
the 60,000 Bills fans mm-hmm. coming every other week to Orchard Park. So, you know, we're going to feel a small portion of that here, but Southern college football is its own entity. I mean, it's, it's an anomaly. It is, it is its own existence. And this is just, I, I mean, these are estimated numbers. So obviously I don't have any kind of facts here, but the, as I did a little bit more research and you can, you can give your thoughts here after this, Scott, most Southern football businesses estimate that the season provides at least 20% of their annual revenue, at least. There are, there are plenty more that are around the 50, 50% mark. There are some that are 100%. I mean, those businesses that sit right by the stadium or right by, you know, right by the, the walkways to the stadium or tailgating in tailgating regions, that's 100% of the business. They're not getting traffic. I mean, I can tell you right now, the businesses around the Bill Stadium, the, the amount of traffic they get during the off season is a joke. It's, it's laughable and they know it. That's, that's not why they're there. So um, it's big. The hometown impact is big. I, I wonder your thoughts. You're sort of, you're on the Mason Dixon line there, right? You're in Virginia. So I would imagine, you know, a lot of people that, that live below that line that are, that are trending down. I mean, even the Virginia tech area, I'm going to guess is somewhat qualifies for this, even though that might be a little bit bigger of a commercialized area. Uh, just what are your thoughts here? Cause I, I don't think this is going to be a pretty situation here. No, I completely agree. I mean, 20%, I think, is on the probably the low side. I mean, as you were talking, I'm thinking, you know, not not only restaurants. I mean, if mm-hmm. you have the restaurants, you have people that are, you know, for Bills games, all the parking that people pay to park yeah. near the stadium, but it's in someone's backyard or, uh, you know, people selling hats and in the vendors and everything around it. It's all things that you don't initially think of when you go to a game, but it impacts the most minutia of entity. And, you know, with these college hometowns, I mean, you have eight, eight home games maybe. And, and that is, you're not only talking on Sunday, you're talking, yeah. People are coming in on a Thursday. They're there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, probably leave Sunday. Maybe some stick around for Monday, but then leave. And so you're talking right, constant. You're right. Yeah. Constant foot traffic. And, you know, people, you know, I've listened to radio DJs and they're, they're saying, oh, I'm going to this college football game. Uh, if you've been to this town, give me a call of any restaurants that I need to hit up. What, what do you think? Exactly. Give me a recommendation. Exactly. So, I mean, you have those kinds of things where word of mouth up here is feeding for down in Louisiana and Alabama and Florida and Texas and all those, because they know there's phenomenal restaurants around these, these football towns. Now, as far as where I'm at, I'm about 45 minutes outside of Charlottesville where University of Virginia is. And I can tell you that I knew exactly when college football was happening on a Sunday or on a Saturday because everyone was traveling south and you saw every flag, every bumper sticker. You knew exactly when there was a game and you made sure not to go that way because of all the traffic that was down there. And that, that's a huge college town because everything is revolved around that town and and it's been growing. Um, So yeah, it's going to be, 
it's going to be an impact that is going to last for not only this year, but probably two, three, five, maybe even 10 years down the line because of the impact. And people know and plan around fall football. So if they do have a spring football, you know, people that have to take time off or they've already planned their weekends in the fall to go down because we know people travel, they'll, they'll leave on a Friday, go down for a game on a Saturday and then and go back home wherever that may be on a, on a Sunday or a Monday. They're going to have to figure that out on in the spring potentially. And that may cause issues with that. And then on top of it, you have the traveling of flying and all, you know, the restrictions with that. So I yeah, think the I, impact. I don't even know, Scott, if, uh, I mean, can we even rely on fans in spring football? Probably not. And, and I probably and not. It's probably, I'm kind of, again, I'm glad we started here because just having football, that's not going to, that's not going to fix this problem. I mean, putting, putting a game on with no fans in a stadium for TV purposes, that's not going to fix the hometown impact. That's not going to change the economic loss because it's, you're right. It's foot traffic. It's cars down the highway. That's what helps Tuscaloosa well, thrive. Yeah, cars, cars down the highway, cars stop to get gas, yep. cars stop to get food and hotels snacks. packed. I mean, yep. hotels, it, it is a domino effect. And, and right now we're talking just football. I mean, imagine with yeah. college basketball. I mean, college basketball down here is huge. Well, I was, I mean, I was thinking that when you mentioned Virginia, games. Scott, because you're right. Basketball is sort of Trump football at at, <laughs> at Virginia. And I was thinking that in my head, like, can they do it? Can they pull it off? Um, probably a better chance because of the smaller rosters. That's really the problem here with football, I would imagine. But it's the same thing. We started the conversation saying these players aren't paid and they're, be, and they're guinea pigs and they're, they're a parental thing you know, concerns, I'm sure from the top down, you know, there are scholarships that, that don't want to be wasted. That's another part of this. Do I, do I even want to use a year of my eligibility right now on this? I probably, I don't know. I, I really don't know. There's a lot to go. I mean, are scouts going to be able to come and see the proper players, all that stuff. Um, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, my guess is we would have seen a lot more opt-outs if the conversation was a little bit more positive, but it just seems like now they're, like I said, they're going to shut this thing down probably within a week or so. Um, I mentioned here, I'm, I'm here in Buffalo and I mentioned the bills, but the, the UB situation is probably the conversation to be having right now because the Mac did come forward already and say they're, they're postponing out of the fall 100%. So I did a little work on the Mac because obviously it's not a power five. It sits outside of the, the big ones, but look at, they've got an ESPN contract. They are, you know, they run a budget <laughs> They, they run an athletic budget that is basically Nick Saban's contract I mean, on an annual basis. I mean, that's just really how this works. That's the, that's the, the gap. And look, the Mac isn't small. It's, it's a mid conference for sure. Uh, but that's where we are. I mean, that's how big football is in the South versus really everywhere else. It's, it's not even close. When you look, I'll have some numbers for you on like the West coast teams. It, it is shocking how much farther behind they are. Shocking. I mean, West Coast football, there's a reason they aren't winning national championships right now. I'm going to put numbers to it. I can tell you. But look, the Mac says no. You know, they're forfeiting their $1 million per year from ESPN. That's per college, essentially, right now. It's about what they make. But that, that's a big deal to a budget of 25 to $30 million. You know, that money, that matters. That Maction, that Tuesday night Maction on ESPN, that matters a ton to these these. Um, 
these smaller schools on the max. So I, I don't know. I mean, is this, is, is the 1 million per year for football only, or is that including the college basketball? Because ESPN plays the college, ESPN plays that Mac college basketball all the time on Thursday nights and, and that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure it's just football. Based on the research I was doing, I was kind of keeping myself uh, aligned with football. Um, like you said, to me, that is the conversation that's going to get switched to quickly is can these schools salvage some of this money with a basketball season? Because the NBA has been so successful in their bubbles. Um, can conferences sort of recreate that hub sort of feel with a basketball team? But again, and this is where I wanted to push back to you. These are students there. <laughs> there's going to be, there's obviously going to be some academic requirements. Um, you know, they're, and they're not getting paid to do this. They're not getting paid to do this. So if you, if you're not on, for instance, if you're not on track to make the NBA or the NFL, this has got to be ridiculously difficult for you. I understand you're competitive. You want to play. I mean, we've certainly seen that with baseball and all those other things, but, uh, I'm pessimistic when it comes to any kind of college athletics right now, completely pessimistic because I just don't, I'm, I'm putting myself in those shoes and I'm remembering, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know. It's a great experience, but that's the other part of it. Most of these players, athletes, or just, you know, being part of college, you're going for the experience. You're not going to, you know, to learn global studies 101. You know, I mean, that's just a, that's a requirement, of course, but you're going because the college experience is like, it's unlike any other. So some completely modified version of that. I mean, really suspended version of that. Is that even enticing to these kids? Probably not. Probably not. No, probably not. I mean, as you were speaking, I was thinking, uh, what if college basketball tried to pull a bubble off like the NBA because the academic component, if all the schools are going to go virtual anyways, they can do their studies virtually and still play. And then you're in essentially in a bubble, but I don't think it's crazy. You know, I don't either, but do do those colleges and do those colleges want to have to, uh, you know, flip the bill on doing all the testing that the NBA and the NHL have been doing on daily, multiple times a day basis? Um, you know, a lot of logistics there. Where would you put all the, of these teams? I mean, you would have to probably strictly play conference only and pick one place to play that conference strictly in. If we're talking from a a basketball standpoint, football, I don't even know if you would be able to pull that off if you tried to do a bubble with it because of the amount of rosters and everything. I think we know the answer is no on that because of the size of the rosters, but there, first of all, you said testing. I'm glad you brought that up. Another area I heard with the Mac schools, one of the big reasons the Mac shut down immediately, they couldn't even afford the testing. Right. Most of those schools couldn't even afford to, to approach the amount of testing it was going to take to at least try to stay clean in this thing, you know? Um, so that, that's a big part of this. So, so as we discuss all these numbers and, this, and, and the spending and the, and, and the profits, think about, just think about, I mean, an Alabama team right now, which is probably 100, 120 people around the team, you know, the active players, plus the coaches, plus the trainers, plus the, all of that. 
staffers, that's just on any given day, on any given game day, that's one team. So if you're talking, you know, a 12 team conference, how are you going to do that? And, and the testing that goes into that, that, that's an astronomical amount of money being spent just to try to, to get yourself the TV money, which I get it. But again, you're not helping the hometown at all. The hometown of comedy mm-hmm. is not right. being aided by you playing football on TV. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And, well, and the other- I hope that that's made, that that's brought to light as much as possible because Alabama is, 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 a, is a college, is a stadium in a college that lives in a town that relies on people to go it to does. that. You're right. And that's a, such a big part of this conversation that's going to get lost because we just want to watch football on TV. And I get it, but it's, it's, it's one part of it. Maybe it's 55% of it. So it's worth trying because it's a majority, but it's, there's a lot of things that aren't going to be helped by them being on TV. Yeah. And like I said, some of those mom and pops, they rely 50 to some hundred percent of that revenue that comes in on those eight weekends that there are games or, you know, and not just weekends with games, the entire college atmosphere of all the students being there, you know, restaurants, bars, whatever people are there and they're, they're spending their money on weekends and during the week. And, you know, the other thing that I thought of was the NBA, I believe took out an extra, or it might've been the players association took out extra insurance for players. So that's another aspect that, you know, if you're putting these players into this bubble or wherever, and do, do the schools have to take out extra insurance or anything like that? If it, you know, we're talking, we're uh, seeing guys. The answer is 100% are, yes. <laughs> we just talked about how, how can you imagine sending your kid as a parent? The, the answer is yes. <laughs> There's going to be so much more liability and insurance necessary. But I bring, but I bring it up because you mentioned the Mac and how they can't even, they can't afford the, the testing in itself, right. let alone having to, it, pay for that extra insurance on those athletes. And we're only talking about one and two sports. We're not even talking about all the other athletics that a, a school has. You mean the, so, the sports that are going to get canceled maybe forever because of yes. this one football season? I, I don't yes. even want to have that conversation, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think your women's softball team is going to be back next year, you are mistaken in a lot of cases, unfortunately. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why in, in another one of these segments coming up here. But the, I don't even want to think about that because I know it's inevitable, but all of these smaller sports, and I'm, I hate to call them smaller sports, but smaller financial sports are going to be so greatly impacted by this football season being lost that it is, it's going to be devastating. Devastating to so many programs and so many places across the entire um, country. Uh, let's not even go there. All right, let's talk TV deals. Let's get through this real quick. It's no surprise, I'm sure, but the numbers are here. Uh, the the college football broadcast just for the made three major networks in 2020, as a whole, we're going to bring in $1.38 billion. ESPN alone, and this is just regular season. ESPN owns the playoff. That's a whole nother enchilada. They paid billions on their 12-year contract to, to ascertain the playoffs, which obviously we're not going to get to this year. Just for the regular season, your noon ESPN games, you know, and your, and your Saturday night games on ESPN ABC, of course, 
788 million dollars this year. That probably won't happen. Fox 400, almost 500 million, and CBS for their SEC game of the week 90 million. And oh, by the way, ESPN is in the process of buying that CBS SEC game of the week, so they want to completely own the SEC now by probably by 2023. Um, here's the thing. I read all these numbers. I read tons of pieces on TV contracts. There really weren't as many concrete pieces out there as I thought there would be because this just seems it's not, if it's not interesting, it's huge. The numbers are huge. Here's what I read consistently from major net, from major uh, articles across the, 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 the country here. They will. It's just like football and basketball. No matter what happens this year, no matter what happens, these numbers are going to triple by 2025. Triple. So even though people are cut McCord, even though we're losing a season here, even though you know the college athletics as a whole has really taken a hit. I mean, college basketball is so diluted and maybe even more so once they get rid of the one and done. Uh, you know, college football is probably trending in that same direction. You might see a lot more players skipping bowl games you know, that stuff's happening. That There's some sort of physical change happening with college sports as a whole. And now we factor in this COVID-19 situation. Uh, TV networks don't care. <laughs> Everything I read in recent articles says we will pay way, way more. If the, if the SEC is worth $40 million a game or a year now, it's worth $60 million in the next two to three years. That's where we are. Every single conference, the Big Ten, way up way up in interest. So I'm not worried at all about this side of the economics because they're going to take a huge hit this year and then they're going to make it up and then some in two years, almost immediately college football will be back on TV and making tons of money from it. And they're going to have to supplement some sponsorships and things like that, I think, to make up some of the other money. But again, <laughs> I have these two things on my document in front of me next to each other on purpose because College football will continue and increasingly make their money off of TV for years to come, but it will take years to come to fix the economies that are going to get decimated this year. It's going to happen. Major town, major football towns that rely solely on football fans are going to get decimated by the economy, just crushed. Um, and that's not going to change when ESPN re-ups for $1.5 billion in 2023. That's not going to matter to Tuscaloosa and the smaller college towns around there. So just keep that in mind as this thing all comes to fruition in the next week or so. All right, let's talk total football. Wait, any thoughts on that, Scott? Not at all. Okay. I mean, the, no. Yeah, that, that's a lot of money. I agree. It, when th things do kick back, that like I said, the hometown impact is still going to be decimated after the fact. And uh, hopefully at some point they'll be able to come back. Yeah. It's going to take some federal help, some state help, all that good stuff, but that's going to be a big conversation soon. I hope that keeps, you know, I hope there's ways for fans to continue to, to pump money into it much of like we've done with the restaurant industries and stuff during this COVID quarantine and all that, but we'll see. All right. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Let's talk, just general revenue. So there's plenty of information out there. This stuff is pretty publicized about just how much colleges earn from their football team on an annual basis. And there's a couple of articles from Forbes that sort of break it out over a three-year span. So like a three-year, and by the way, this is not just ticket sales and concessions and parking. This is also donors, um, fundraise the money for, for big, big capital projects, which is another piece we're going to get to here in a second. But 
the amount of money that these colleges bring in and the colleges that are doing the most money are completely interesting to me because it's not, for instance, the ACC, we, we think about the ACC so much lately because Clemson has been such a juggernaut, but the ACC for the last decade has been nothing and they make almost no money. So the fact that Clemson is now starting to make money is kind of a, it's kind of a revelation for the ACC. It's a big deal. They've been a basketball conference solely and football has been on the afterburners a little bit, but uh, you know, there had, there was a big, big push. They basically selected Clemson as the team once Florida state kind of flamed out and we'll talk about Florida state in a bit here as well, but they basically put all their eggs into Clemson and said, you've got to get us into the conversation because spending matters, you know, revenue matters right now. And it does, again, I mentioned the West coast, it matters. But I mean, look at all your big, your big boys, your Michigans, your Ohio States, your Alabamas, they're in your top five of, of revenue, of course. Um, but there's a couple of teams here, Scott. I, I'm, I'm sure you're looking at the, at some of the lists I have here. First of all, the number one team in terms of revenue and profit, by the way, over the past three years is in the SEC, but it's not any of the teams you thought it would be. Texas A&M, yeah. Texas yeah. A&M. So they have been- Surprised by that. So let me tell you what this stems from. And a lot of the, a lot of the colleges on this list have a similar conversation. And once I realized what was happening here, it took me down a whole new path and a whole nother cup of coffee to kind of understand what, what was happening here. Like, I, I, you know, why in the hell was Texas A&M the leading revenue slash profiter in college football over the past three years? It, it's about those capital projects. So the, the, the thinking in college football over the past, I guess, 15 years or so has been, if we don't have the facilities, we're never going to get the players. And if we don't have the players, we're never going to have the, the nationally televised games. And if we don't have those, we can't make any money and blah, blah, blah. Here's what, I, here's what I've come to the conclusion of. For many of these schools, and I would put Texas A&M on this list. And if you're a Texas A&M fan and you think otherwise, at Spotrek on Twitter, let me have it. But, but let's just be fair this entire decade. Texas A&M is not competing for the national championship. They're not, okay? There are, there are teams above them in the SEC. I mean, look at, just look at any preseason ranking or projected win total. They don't have a chance week one. They don't have a chance. So why are they spending like they have a chance? They're not. They're not. National championships don't necessarily bring you you know, an annual, a consistent annual revenue pattern that many of these colleges require. It's a quick hit. Of course you get, you know, a free recruiting blast. You're going to get tons of players with interest. You know, you can now hang up, hang your hat on a ring and say, this is what we do. This is why you got to play here for us. But teams that know they don't have a chance, they are about the curbside appeal about, about having the best strength and conditioning room, about having the greatest, you know, dorms and locker rooms or paint, you know, paint schemes, all that stuff, uniforms. This is what fundraising goes into. This is why there are, you know, billionaires out there pumping money into colleges. It, it, it's not to, you know, they're not buying wins. In fact, I'm not even sure winning really matters that much. It's about getting themselves on TV, giving themselves something to market, whether it's a flashy coach like Michigan, who's paying Jim Harbaugh way too much money to not beat Ohio State. Let's be frank about that. Um, you know, Texas, same bill. Texas, they, they don't have a choice. 
I mean, everything around Texas and Texas A&M is football. So football has to be the, the, the big money spender out there. Otherwise they're doing something wrong. Um, but so much of this is just curb appeal, just marketing and recruiting and just trying to get eyeballs on their campuses because that leads to national coverage, which leads to TV money. And it all trickles down from there. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I did a, I did some quick numbers here on the top 10 spenders, the top 10 revenue earners slash profiters over the past three years. And I put winning next to it. First of all, five out of the top seven are in the SEC. No surprise there. The number one spender, let's talk just recruiting here. I'm just talking recruiting now, okay? I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, what they spent on uniforms or, or facilities or any of that, but we'll get to that in a second here with an example. Just recruiting, so just either you bought yourself a couple of jets and you're using jets or you're, go, you're taking private jets, you're renting transportation, you've got meals and hotels and all that stuff just to go out across the country and recruit. I, I know you're seeing it in front of you, Scott. Can you believe who the number one team is? And it has been for two years in a row. And by the way, it's not even close from a financial standpoint, how much number one they are. No, I wouldn't have guessed that team. Who's the last great player you remember from Georgia? I can great, think of, great. I can think of two. Walker. No, there's two. There's two more recent, but it's Gurley Staff. and Stafford. Stafford, yeah. And Stafford. Yeah. So they get their players. <laughs> but again, they haven't won a national championship since 1980. Now they've competed. Wow. They've been in there. I mean, they've got they've had some games. That's all that matters to them. They just need to be relevant in the SEC and they are going to make I mean, I can tell you right now, after the numbers I did, SEC teams made $45 million per school just from the SEC. So the SEC made $721 million last year as a conference, which meant, which, which panned out to $45 million distributed to every school in the conference. They get that every year just by being part of the SEC. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. It, it ain't about national championships. Yep. That's gravy. Yeah, it's a it's a free pass for marketing for sure. It's it's a huge deal to win a national championship. But here's your here's your recruiting spenders. Georgia number one, haven't won since 1980. Tennessee number three in the country on recruiting costs, haven't won since Peyton Manning. Arkansas, which we're going to talk a whole lot more about soon, number five, haven't won since 1964. They're, they they don't even project to win five games in the in, in the entire season on an annual basis but they're the number five recruiting spenders in the country. Texas A&M, number six in recruiting. <laughs> Haven't won a national championship since 1939. <laughs> That's your top six right there. Then you got some bigger names. Penn State, number eight in recruiting, 1986. Florida State, 2013. And what many <laughs> claim to be sort of like a fluky national championship. They're in your number nine. And then Michigan is your top 10 spender in recruiting. And they haven't won since, I believe that's the, is that the Desmond Howard years, 1997, when kick returning actually mattered? <laughs> Remember that? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really. it. Look, that, that, there's no better example right there of this is where you have to spend your money just to get yourself on TV. That's all that matters. It is about, it's about this, like, it's this facade, right? We have to get players here nobody's, nobody's going to stop going to the big house in Michigan, even if they're five and 10, you know what I mean? Like nobody's going to stop. They're not worried about getting fans and seats. They're not, 
there's a culture that comes with that. that there's like a, it's a tradition the, the people are just going to show up because they used to go there 35 years ago and they want to keep going. You know how that all works. They got to get themselves on the ABC ESPN Saturday night game of the week. That's what matters because that advertising is way more profitable than anything they can sell in that stadium way more. So that's what it's all well, about. It's what it's all about. We got to get the right quarterback or the right running back or the right defensive end. That's going to be on NFL draft charts all year that these geeks on Twitter are going to talk about and talk about and talk about and talk about so that ESPN eventually says, Hey, we got to get this freaking team on national TV. Yeah. And it, to loop it back to the hometown thing, you know, college game day in the morning, where all the people flock to that. And you know, the, the stories when they go to like James Madison here, I mean, that's huge because that is, it's recruiting of the name of the school. You know, they want that advertisement for the school. So things like that help out tremendously. There's no question. Um, But it's just funny to me that a team like Georgia, I mean, Georgia spent a million dollars more than any other team in the entire country last year in recruiting a million dollars more. (laughs) That's crazy. Crazy. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, I get it. Look at your, you're the little, uh, they're more of like a medium sized fish in a, in a huge conference. Right. I mean, they're, they're a big program. No question. You know, I wouldn't put Arkansas there. Arkansas is the fifth highest spending recruiting. Um, and we can talk about Arkansas whenever you want, Scott, I got a nice little story on that, but, uh, look, I, I won't go down this too much more. You can understand. I, I will, I will tweet a link out by the way, to all the articles that I referenced here in this little conversation, because like I said, I got myself down a rabbit hole and found some really great work by a lot of great people. Um, but I, what are your thoughts on this recruiting stuff? Am, am I off? I mean, it, it, to me, uh, to me the, what I'm taking away from this is that this is just smoke and mirrors. Truly, smoke and mirrors. Just get us, spend enough to, to be relevant. That's all that matters. Yeah, I agree with that uh, to a certain extent. When I look at the uh, the actual list itself, I mean... You do see colleges that have recruited that have won. Obviously, Alabama at number two. That I mean, they've won uh, within the last what so, ten years. They've won five times. Actually, Scott, got, let's t- let's talk about this. So Alabama's two and Clemson's four. Why would the, why why would those schools need to spend two and a half million dollars on recruiting? I, I'm not I'm not joking. Who the hell wouldn't want to go there? If Nick Saban calls you on the phone or, 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 or offers up a Zoom conference right now, you're taking it. Yeah, you are. But if you think of it, what you just said with Georgia, Georgia has had to spend an extra million. The fact that Alabama is not number one having to spend that extra million, you know, it's kudos to the brand that they have created in Saban, what he, the, the culture that he has created there that the players want to go there. So I guess I look at it this way, Scott, I, I understand what you're saying, but I always, I always equate Saban to Belichick. I I think the Alabama program because of the dynasty, because of the way those two kind of handle the media and and really their football, I've always equated those two, two guys together. Can you, can you imagine Bill Belichick like sending reinforcements out to recruit? I don't know who was available this year. Cam Newton. I mean, I mean, do you think he spent, do you think he sent, you know, four jets of scouts and staffers out to Carolina to vet Cam Newton? You know, what was he doing? Where where was he going in in his nightlife? 
I, I don't think so. I don't. I'm sure he did his due diligence. But why, I guess is my question is, from a financial standpoint, why does Alabama have to work this hard after they've created what they've created there? Because they want to sustain it for the future, not just right now. They're, they're sustaining this for five, 10, 15 years down the line. So they're maintaining, a, you know, a, essentially a status quo for them and making sure they're in the limelight constantly. I mean, look at what happened with the Washington Red, uh, the Washington football team. Oh, that's a dollar they, in the pot. They, <laughs> they, they changed their helmets and what did everyone think? Alabama. Yeah, it, 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 Alabama is out there. It's a brand. It's a college. They're going to spend so that they're always in the limelight no matter what. Bill Belichick, I think he could care less if he's in the limelight. But Alabama itself, the college wants themselves to be thought of when a helmet changes and you think of Alabama right. as opposed to a different university. Okay, that's fair. Let me give you another approach because I know you've got a teaching background and I've got a family of teachers that I have been able to unfortunately learn the process from. You got to spend it to keep it, right? Correct. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's a big problem. It's a big part of this entire college conversation. It's not just college, it's all the state schools, high schools, everything. But these things all work off budgets and budgets are made months before any of this stuff actually comes to fruition months. I mean, especially this year. I mean, I've got a wife who's a teacher. Her school is going to operate off of January's budget, which I think is dead wrong. <laughs> I mean, cause, cause guess what? I heck of a lot of things have happened since January. <laughs> so whatever she thought she needed in January, she doesn't need it in September. Um, but my guess is, with colleges, a lot of that is still the case because it is such a strict process to organize and allocate and invest. My guess is Alabama just said, look, it took us two and a half million, you know, or it took us two million five years ago. We need a 5% increase on recruiting every single year and mm -hmm. Saban's going to spend it because if he doesn't spend it, the school's going to come back and They'll say, oh, well, you certainly don't need that anymore. So to me, that's what this is. Everything is built in to allocated budgets, and you know how it works. You always spend to the budget. In fact, you push over as much as possible because you want to continue to grow your, your allocations. Right. It's a huge problem. It's why there's going to be a bubble that bursts in the next six months with these colleges. No question in my mind. After doing this research, there is going to be a disaster. Okay. Somehow, somehow, these colleges made $150 million a year and are operating on a year by year basis. They are going paycheck to paycheck because of what we're just talking about right now, because every dollar made is, is a dollar already accounted for. They are finding ways to spend it so that they continue to get those contributions, to get those donations. There is no piggy bank. <laughs> there's no, there's no backup yeah, there's, plan. Yeah. There's, they're, they're spending that, that influx of cash that they get immediately on a new weight room, a new locker room, yep. new facilities. And, you know, like you said, they don't have a backup plan at this point from what it sounds like. Okay. I've got three more things to get you. We're joined today by Scott Allen. He's on the hip parade hotline. If you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price, hip parade is the premier authentic autograph sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the United States. 
Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in sports like Jordan, Brady, Zion Williams, and even Mike Trout. Get your box today at Hit Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. Okay, Scott, three more things here. We can kind of pick up the pace a little bit. You mentioned facilities right there. I'm going to give you Florida State as an example. Um, Florida State's had a bad run here, a really bad run. I mean, they've been firing coaches left and right. They can't compete even in an ACC that really isn't that daunting outside of Clemson, of course. Here's, here's what they've done to shake it up a bit in Florida State. They created what's called the Unconquered Campaign, which is basically they went out to all their millionaire and billionaire donors and said, we, we're, we need money because we are, we're not winning. And this is why we think we're not winning. We're not getting players because we don't have the best facilities. Again, you can think what you want about that. I think that's freaking asinine just to get my opinion out there. All right. I think weight rooms are weight rooms. I think everything else is for an Instagram post (laughs) personally. Like, you know, the fact that you have to have the cleanest, shiniest, well-branded weight room in the country is a freaking disaster. It's just money being pissed away. But Look at this is what this is what every college is thinking. I'm not blaming Florida State. All the Power Five football schools are doing this, including, by the way, the University of Buffalo and in, in the MAC, who just launched a ridiculously multi-million-dollar field house that, again, is meant for recruiting. It's meant for, you know, giving people a place to to to, to train year-round in an area that gets bad winters. Let's be frank. So there's, a, there's at least a climate side of it to the Buffalo one. Uh, I would imagine Florida State has pretty good weather year round, so I'm not sure that's a, that's a part of their conversation. Here's the deal. They raised $100 million in 2018. So all of this stuff is going to come to fruition, I guess, may possibly next July. That's that The plan was next July, but who knows now with this 2020. Here's how the $100 million was, was broken out. And they were pretty upfront about this, maybe even proud of this. You tell me where things, where things got tripped up here, Scott. I'll go down the list. $60 million for the new football facility. It's a standalone facility. Not, they're not renovating. They're building a brand new one right across the street from their current facility, which hosts the offices, the new locker rooms, hydrotherapy uh, uh, slots, a whole new training and weight room, a brand new conference and team position group meeting room, all technologically advanced, and an entire lounge just for recruiting. So, so there you go. <laughs> Back to recruiting. That's 60 million of the hundred. Eight million goes to restoring the current athletic center. So pump it back into the old. So they're going to restore some of the old while building the new. Nine million goes into more scholarships. Fine. I don't have a problem with that. Eight, eight million goes to the golf course, which I guess makes sense. Florida is a golf haven. Mm-hmm. Six million goes to baseball. Again, FSU is a big baseball town for, you know, they're kind of parentally in the World Series. Five million goes to, and I swear to God, this is from their website. This is the quote, the continued development of women's sports at FSU. Five million of the hundred. Wow. Five. Mm. Five million. Boy. Four million. So one million less than all the women's sports money. One million less than all the women's sports money goes to adding team lounges inside the civic center. I don't even know what that means. 
<laughs> is there a cafe? Are they improving? Are they improving the chairs? I don't even know what that means, but I know it's one million less than all the women's sports got <laughs> at FSU uh, from a hundred yeah. million dollars. What a terrible look! This is, is a terrible look. First of all, I get it. Football wins. I'm not even going to complain about the fact that 60% of this money is going to football. Well, I shouldn't say that. 68, 72. All right. So like 75% of this money is going to football. But it is such a bad look to list it out like this on your website and have it allocated in this way. I don't even understand. I mean, they're not even being shy about her anymore. I mean, they're just making Title IX requirements and absolutely not a dollar more and that's it and there's there's no shame in that the problem here is this florida state hasn't won a damn thing okay like no, i said they, they had a fluky 2013 clemson is the only thing holding the acc up right now and this is like a hail mary this is like florida state's hail mary to get to become relevant again it's a hundred million dollars of hail mary I, I don't understand this scott I, I don't understand the need for these facilities to me they're absolute luxuries they are part of recruiting. It is all about ramping up. I, there's no economic impact to the community around them. None, zero. This isn't a public facility. Nobody's going to be able to use this. This isn't going to help draw people into this. None of this. This is all about getting a quarterback and a wide receiver and a cornerback on the, into Florida State that will make them nationally discussed and nationally televised. Again, I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. That's all this is about. This is about getting three players a year that are worth a damn to that to that organization so that they can stay relevant. This is absurd money. And the only thing more absurd than this spending right here is what I want to talk about next, and it's coaching. Just give me your initial thoughts, Scott, on coaching. Because I don't want to I don't want to have my opinion be the the candle that we hold a light to on this. What are, what are your thoughts on on co on head coaching salaries on the college level, keeping in mind that the assistant salaries don't get talked about enough. I mean, Alabama is paying over a million dollars for their assistants. So they're paying mm -hmm. Nick Saban eight to nine to 10 to 11 over the next five years. And then every assistant's getting a million plus as well. Are you fine with it? Is it warranted? I, I, look, at, we just had a huge conversation down the line here about where all the money goes and how it matters and the impact and the TV money. There's no question that the money is there, but Give me your opinion based on this. The second it's gone, football, everything explodes. It does. But you're okay paying $10 million a year to a coach and including fully guaranteed buyouts. And I can't wait to get to that story. That's next. But that's, that's the life right now. That, that's what they are, are, are offering. I mean, they treat the coach as the most important, put the facilities aside, the facilities, a hundred million to the facilities is nothing compared to some of these coaching contracts. Dabo Sweeney just got nine, just got, is it nine for 93? Yeah. Nine for 93. Dabo Sweeney just got to coach in Clemson in a non sec college, nine for 93. And it's guaranteed. And the buyouts are absurd on it. The language is absurd. I read so many interesting contractual language articles about these buyouts. And I've got a great story, but where are you? Am I off? Like, does the, does the punishment fit the crime here? You know what I mean? Like if, if you're going to, if you're going to invest and recruit and make all this money, you know, accept all these campaign don't, you know, payments, 
is it just commonplace that you have to give your your godlike coach figure this much money? If all the money goes away, it's a tough pill to swallow. But if the money is there, it's probably warranted. Think of the NFL. Who gets the most money? The quarterback. Because they're the face of the franchise. They're the one who has the ball in their hands most of the time. You know, these head coaches are the face of the university. You, when you think of Alabama right now, you think of Nick Saban. Um, if you think of, like you just said, Clemson, you're thinking of Dabo Sweeney. Uh, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, they paid him. They expected him to come in, but he hasn't done, lived up to the expectations. Name me, four, uh, name me four more. Name me four more coaches that hold so much weight that they have to make more than seven million a year, or you know, more than five million a year, and you have to pay them every dollar, even if they're coaching three other teams after this. In football, I probably couldn't list any. That's right. Um, if That's I right. was going bas- if I go basketball, I mean, there's a there's a handful I could list in basketball, but I don't know if basketball coaches are earning what the football coaches are. Um, but oh yeah, you know the the, the interesting uh, you just went through and listed out all those Florida State allocations, <laughs> listed out these head coaches, and out of everything that's in there. And all this money that is spent, nine million from Florida State was student athlete scholarship endowments. I mean, everything else is all about the facade, all about the recruiting, all about the brand. And I think that's where college athletes with the 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 movement of player empowerment is they want to be paid because these universities, they went while they are businesses, these athletes aren't getting in their minds a fair share. Some will come back and say, well, you're getting a, uh, a, a full ride to a $45,000 a year university. Uh, but then there's, you know, some of the spending money that they don't necessarily have, but all the millions and millions of dollars that we're talking about here is all because the college and the university they're trying to hold up their brand and they're trying to make money. So they want to have their face in the limelight so that a person hears or a, a high school student hears a college's name and says, I want to go there. Or if, you know, with the Instagram and the Twitter, they see some of these weight rooms and guys breaking records at the, at their university with weight you know, bench, benching and uh, squatting. That's what they remember. They remember what I mean. It's all for Instagram posts, but yeah. And it's all that showing those Instagram posts, that's free recruiting. I mean, those are dollars that you're not even throwing into what's here. Um, So, but like I said, all of this is all of us. My point, Scott, is that exists. That is our life right now. It is. You shouldn't have to spend $100 million on a freaking weight room because you can have a crappy weight room and take great social media posts for free, for free. And everybody yeah, will, will push but, them out and everybody will fall in love with it. And everybody will think, and the next time you think about South Florida, instead of thinking about some crappy game you went to, you'd be thinking about that awesome Instagram post. That's, that's free. That's life right now. That's, that's what we are. Guys are getting signed up to the NFL because they make ridiculous trick shots. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it right. No, I, but I think that the, the issue is sort of like NFL quarterbacks right now, it's next man up. So as soon as one university creates this weight room, it's a next man up. All right, we need to be the next greatest weight room because, you know, these football players and other athletes, they are spending a majority of their time in that weight room outside of their their dorm room or apartment Look, room, wherever they are. Unless so there's $100 bills to- stuck in between the weights that they're working out on, <laughs> these players don't give a, a D-A-M-N how much, how great those weights look. They just don't care. It matters, yeah, for, it matters for a day and a half, right? There's a wow factor when you walk in the room. That's the selling point. That's, the, that's like getting right. a new that, car. But, Eight days after getting the, a new car, it smells like shit and you don't care anymore. <laughs> but that's what the universities are banking on right now. And that's why they're spending the money because of that new car smell, that instant, oh my God, this place is phenomenal. Uh, I love this place. That's their hook and they're going to spend the money on the hook because of the brand, because of the, you know, I got to be there aspect. I think there are five coaches in college football right now that should have their asking price five and everybody else is just benefiting off of those five. And that's wrong to me. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. That is the NBA model. That's, that is the NBA model. That is, that is, there are five to six elite players in the NBA, but because they are pushing the envelope so much financially, really crappy guys on the, on the back end of the bench are still making $12 million right now in the NBA. That's what college yeah. coaching is right now to me. Okay. That, yeah, that's I agree. what it is. I mean, so many of these guys, and let's just get to it. Let's just get to it. First of all, Ryan Day, who took over for Urban Meyer, Ohio State, is making $4.5 million already. Four and a half million dollars. He hasn't won. He hasn't won. Okay. You're, that's a name. That's because that's what it comes with being involved with Ohio State. That's it. That's all it was. I just, there are some of these things really blow my mind. But let's get to the real conversation here because look, at it isn't so much about what they make on an annual basis. It's what they make no matter what. It is the guarantee part of it that is killing college football. It is dead cap. There should be an entire world surrounding college football dead cap right now. I'm telling you, if I could, if I could take the time or hire somebody to just focus on it over a 10 to 15 year pattern and put together the actual numbers, the actual true numbers, it, it, it would be wildly fascinating and wildly damning. Eye-opening. Damning. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not even sure people inside of the colleges. I, I know there are are certainly accountants and certainly presidents and all that who know exactly what the numbers are. But I promise you, the majority of people don't know all the numbers. You know what I mean? That they just kind of go, oh, we had to fire another coach. Ho hum. We went four and 10. Guess what? The numbers are unbelievable. They're crazy. They're bonkers. I'm going to give you, here's the coaching turnover, by the way. Turnover is a huge problem. So we're talking about these Nick Sabans and these Dabo Sweeney's who, who have fairly saved jobs, of course. Over the past five years, here, here's how many major football program coaches have been turned over. This year, 24. Last year, 27. 2018, 20. 2017, 23. 2016, 28. That is over 125 coaches over the past five seasons have, have been turned over. 125. 
the majority of those were making a million more, probably 3 million more based on the numbers I'm seeing this year. Let's talk about these buyouts. I've got a really fun, crazy example. I'm going to pick on Arkansas. I want to stay, I wanted to stay in the SEC. You know, there were a couple of other options. I am so glad I picked Arkansas because <laughs> there's a legal battle going on. There's a tie to an NFL franchise. There's a ton of money going on. And also they're just not good. <laughs> they're just not a good team. So we're talking about all this money being thrown around for a team that, that has been awful. I, I mean, the last coach, I'll kind of go back here, the last coach, Chad Morris, went 4-18 and and didn't win an SEC game. He lost them all. Mm. Wait till you hear how much money he made. You're not going to believe it. Okay, let's go back to 2013. Okay, it's about a seven or eight year span here. Again, only seven years. That's two to three generations of college players. That's it. If you're thinking about players are there three to four years. You know, maybe maybe only two for most of those players in Arkansas. I'm not sure how many of those kids get drafted, honestly. Um, 2013, Brett Brillema is hired. Uh, he, uh, look, he's an experienced coach, so that was a nice hire for an SEC team right there. He gets $3.2 million out of the gate per year. That's an annual salary for him. That's with a bit of a, that's with a likely incentive built in, and then there's a whole slew of incentives that I'm sure he didn't earn because he really didn't win much football, so it's pretty safe to say he made around $3 million per year from 2013 through 2017. <laughs> I watched an interview after he was fired in November. It was like Thanksgiving Friday of November of 2017. He claims he was fired walking off the field. Wow. Like they, they lost the game. They lost the final home game. He's walking off the field and he was fired walking out of the tunnel. <laughs> so, a guy you're paying $3 million a year who carried an $11.8 million buyout. This is four years into his contract. His buyout was almost $12 million. Wow. And you, and you fired him <laughs> as he's walking off a field. Didn't even think twice about it. It's just, we're done. What an embarrassment this is. We're done. We're happy to suck up the $12 million. No big deal to us. $12 million. Scott, this guy made $320,000 a month. Oh my gosh. Cannot coach for Arkansas anymore. And he still should be making that, by the way. That was a four-year buyout. He still should be making that, except I, I read his contract. It's available online. I read the contract. Here's where it gets so fun. So in 2018, the next year after he's fired from Arkansas, he calls his old buddy, Bill Belichick, and says, hey, I want to come help. He volunteers as a defensive coach for the, for the Patriots in the next year. He's working with the defensive line voluntarily, which at the time, I'm sure, was reported, at, was reported as, hey, that's really awesome. He just wants to be a part of football and help out. No, no, no. Here's what the contract says. The contract says he must actively pursue another coaching job as part of the buyout agreement. He's got to try. He's got, it's like being on unemployment. You can't, you can't just stay in unemployment forever. You've got to show that you're at least trying to get a job. So similar to that. And, and if he finds a job north of $50,000, then the buyout could offset. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, so in order to, to follow the rules of his contract, the Patriots eventually had to hire him and put him on the payroll. Guess what his salary was with the Patriots? 
Well, you said $50,000. <laughs> right so on the money. Belichick agreed to a $50,000 defensive lines coach, 50000 for a defensive wow. lines coach, just so that Bielema could double dip and keep making the $320,000 per month. It took them, it took Arkansas a while to figure out that what was happening, uh, like way too long. They've since stopped paying those buyout checks. It's in court. There's tons of lawyers. There's tons of backlog because technically speaking, <laughs> and look at Arkansas signed this, they created this contract. Technically speaking, he has not broken protocol. He found, found a new job, job in football and no. he's not making more than $50,000 a year. He has since moved on to the Giants, so it's possible now that they've settled some to some degree, and he's got a real job with the Giants that actually pays a real salary now. So I don't know how it currently stands, but for a good year and a half there, just a, another freaking Belichick loophole. He gets he gets a defensive lines coach for fifty thousand dollars with tons of experience. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Why does everything come back to the Patriots? Everything. Good question. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. If he was a consultant in 2018 as a volunteer, did he get a New England championship ring? He got a ring. As a volunteer? Yeah, he got a ring. He was part of yeah. the team. Voluntarily That's a part crazy. of the team while making $320,000 a month from Arkansas. So not bad work if you can get it. His predecessor at Arkansas, Chad Morris, I mentioned him. He went 4-18, 0-14 in, in the SEC. He took over for in 2018 signed a six-year, $21 million contract. So clearly Arkansas learned from their mistakes. I roll. Okay. He gets $8 million at least, base salary, for, for a year of work, for two years of work, 18 and 19. Like I said, going 0-14 in the SEC. Just like Bielema, he was fired at the last home game in November of 2019. He had over $10 million left in that contract still in terms of the buyout which they're still paying him. He gets 205,000 a month. Okay, so Bielema gets 320, Morris gets 205,000 a month. He waited a year, then signed a three-year, $2.2 million fully guaranteed contract to be Auburn's offensive coordinator. So he stays in the SEC, he's an offensive coordinator now, he's making over 2 million. That 2 million offsets his buyout. So he is now making $61,000 a month to be an offensive coordinator for Auburn and $143,000 a month to not coach Arkansas. Man, this is one example and it's probably a bad example. I mean, how many yeah. of these other, other colleges do this every two years? Every two years. The turnover is that a lot big. Of, a lot of money being pissed away. That, that's the point. That is the point. And oh, by the way, Arkansas learned their lesson by signing Sam Pittman to be their next coach after Chad Morris. A first-time head coach has never coached ever. But because you're Arkansas in the SEC, they gave him five years, $15 million. $3 million a year to a first-time head coach. That's the life we live in right now. That's what I'm talking about. You better be careful of the last home game. <laughs> Who cares? Does it, does it even matter? Right. Probably not. He's getting especially what depending on what his buyout is i mean if he gets fired he's getting essentially so you free tell money me, you tell me now after hearing all this you tell me how in, in a situation where budgets are allocated 
every dollar earned is already spent. You know how it works in school, in the education business, and it is a business. You don't have that petty cash. You just don't. You have to beg for that petty cash. You have to donate or fundraise for that petty cash. You do. How in the world do the majority of these schools still have these guaranteed buyouts? Why in the world do they exist? Who the hell cares if Sam Pittman gets fired? Are you telling me 15 other colleges are going to come running for his services? Like I said, there are probably five, maybe 10, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit, you know, hyperbolic on that. Maybe there are 10 names that schools would really, really jump on if they were fired. But you're telling me that every single power five conference, every school in those conferences, and even in the, in the, in the more mid conferences, they have to guarantee these contracts have to, that's the only way to get names to come and coach your teams. I just, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. This to me, this is the biggest reckless case of money of spending in this industry right now. It's the biggest is the, is the coaching turnover slash buyout system. Yeah. And the amount of money that's being spent on recruiting. I mean, you're trying to get kids to want to come and play for your school. And when your coach is being fired after two years and they did the recruiting and, you know, it's a bad look because then those kids are going to want to potentially transfer or they're stuck at the school and they can't transfer or, you know, it's almost double dipping on bad money. You mean you're spending money on a coach that isn't there with a buyout, but then you're spending money on recruiting from a coach that it's a lot of money being spent, not efficiently at all. You know, it's a really interesting point, and it's a it's part of the conversation that came up when I was uh, researching that recruiting money, the, the the top recruiting spenders in the country. The majority of it uh, of top spenders are teams that had to change their head coach. First year head coaches spend the most because they have their own system. So there's a slew of players already in the school that don't even fit their system. They want a different style quarterback. They want a, you know, a halfback who can catch the, you know, an option pass. Changing everything literally means having to change everything, including the players and the personnel. So you're right. Every time you change a coach, it's dead cap. It's dead cash. It's a new contract, a new fully guaranteed coaching contract. And oh, by the way, it's not just the head coach. Almost always all the assistants go and all new assistants have to be hired. So that's extra money there. And then, like I said, generally speaking, the personnel has to change as well. The, the players, because you, you got to fit the mold. So you're, you're just, you're almost triple dipping in the money because of what you're doing here because of, of the turnover and the turnover is not going away. It's increasingly growing. I just gave you the numbers over the past five years. It's bad. It's all bad news. To me, this is the most damaging part of the game. It's the most damaging part because of everything you just said too, because it is, it blows up the entire program. It's not just changing a job out. You know, you're not just posting something on LinkedIn with the exact requirements and saying, this is the kind of guy we need. No, it is not. This is the, you're right. This is the king on top of the castle. This is the name that's going to be associated with this program that's going to warrant having a $150 million facility and, you know, a $4 million players lounge again, whatever the hell that is. So I, I, I think this has to change. If, if one thing is going to change because of this disaster we're in right now, and it's a disaster. I mean, the money, the trickle down effects of this financial loss is going to be ridiculous. This has to go. There is no reason a first time head coach 
should have a fully guaranteed buyout on his contract. I don't care what the college is. I don't care what conference they're in. There's no reason for that. Why would they have so much stability financially when A, the players have zilch, absolutely none, and B, the entire college is relying on wins and losses? Wins and losses. Why can't that be a part of the stipulation? So you, you, can, you can fire a college coach with cause and obviously exclude that buyout. So if, you know, there's any kind of domestic or, or, or off-field incident, of course, the contract is on the college's side there. Why doesn't winning matter? Why, why don't wins and losses matter as, as firing for cause? Is that really a ridiculous thing to say? I don't think it's ridiculous. It might be bad negotiation on the university or college's standpoint. Of course. But that, I think in, but somebody in, can break that mold, right? I, I, I love the fact that you, you brought up the limelight of, you know, if, if you could have someone go through and figure out the money on a 10 to 15 year basis, you know, I bet you it would be eye opening and I'd be really interested on the, that with the turnover per, uh, per conference, because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the SEC, some of these guys like Texas, uh, Texas A&M, they're, uh, they're getting money by being in the conference because it gets shared amongst all those universities. So because they're in there, they Arkansas probably doesn't really care about winning because they're going to get their fair share from the SEC, from Alabama, from Georgia, from Auburn and LSU. So they don't necessarily in a way care because they're going to get that influx of money, no matter what, by just being in the conference. Uh, It's a, it's crappy. But at the same time, they also have to spend exponentially more to try to at least keep up with Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and LSU, or at least least feign, feign you know, uh, pretend that they're keeping up, right? I'm I'm curious to know, I'm I'm guessing the answer is no, but I'm curious to know if that recruiting money that's in there, is that recruiting for players only or does that include coaching? not only head coach, but other offensive coaching staff, you know, is that a, a comprehensive recruiting uh, total or is that strictly recruiting based on, on players and travel to the numbers I gave you are just on player recruiting, players, okay. lodging, food, all that stuff. Yeah. That's Nothing to do with the salaries. Yeah. Because otherwise Alabama would be at 15 million just to start. I, mean, I, th- I think they're spending 15 million a year on just coaches. If they're paying, 1 million plus to all those coordinators and then Saban's between nine and 11 million on this contract. I mean, that's, 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 but again, I I don't want to use Saban as the example. I think Alabama probably more than anybody warrants that kind of high salary. Yeah. But these salaries that are here, these are just salaries. That's not even including any perks. You know, maybe they get a car perk, maybe, maybe the house that they're, that maybe the house that they're living in is owned by the university. So they don't even have to pay for the house at all. So they're, you know, that's an expense that they don't have to do. I mean, let, there's let probably me endless. I can find it. Let me see if I can find it. I mentioned Brett Bielema, the amount of perks that were built into his contract are super fun. All right. Ready? Remember this is 2013. So seven years later, can, you can imagine what else has been added to these kind of contracts in 2013. Obviously, they provided him all the insurances, health, disability, uh, you know, a retirement plan, all that stuff. Um, he got two loan, loaner cars, two country club memberships. He got skybox, 12 skybox tickets, 20 tickets to all home games. He got 
all, he, he got full permission to go out and earn any endorsements he wants. He can go consult and speak anywhere. He can make any amount of money he wants outside of the campus. Then he gets all those built-in football incentives, right? There's a national championship bonus. There's academic performance bonuses and graduation rate bonuses, which to me, that's hysterical. Um, then there's, there's based on wins. If you win six, seven, eight, all that stuff. Look at, there's something to be said about being the worst team in the SEC because <laughs> you can win six games and it's a great year because nobody's going to gawk at the fact that you lost to Alabama and LSU uh, you know, on an annual basis. It's going to be great if you beat them. It's, I mean, you're a hero if you beat them. But six wins for one of the lower teams in the SEC is, is a, not only is it good for the campus, for the university, but that's where the, the financial stipends come in. Many of these lower SEC colleges, six wins is a big payday for these mm -hmm. coaches. So like yeah. I said, that's just one example of these perks. I mean, many of the schools have their own jets that coaches use. There's uh, tons of transportation perks and hotel perks and things like that. And then food, obviously food stipends and all that built in, but cars and golf course memberships and all that's all part of it. Homes. Yeah. They, they get, they get all that stuff. That's all standard operating procedure now for major college football programs. That's just, that's part of the gig. So add all of that on top of four, between four and 10 million of base salary and a fully guaranteed buyout. You just don't say that's way too much power. That is way too much power for, for, for colleges who clearly can't afford it. We know now they can't afford it. Right. And they yeah. can't afford it because they have stretched their budgets to astronomical levels. So the one year that they're not going to have TV money is going to destroy them. So they're going to have to dial it back on everything to make up for it. And then obviously, like I said, hope that the TV money gets bigger and bigger in the next couple of years, which all reports say it will. But again, the hometown impact is going to be damaging. I do think, and it's just logically saying, saying this, there's going to have to be change. There's going to have to be change. Some college is going to have to come forward and say, we are going to be at the forefront of the player likeness. We're going to make sure our players not only are able to make their, their own endorsement money, but we're going to help them promote it, right? We're going to be a part of this conversation because to me, that is going to be the recruiting tool, right? Not some fancy ass team lounge in some civic center, all right? The guys can go get their coffee wherever the hell they want and, and lounge and watch TV wherever the hell they want. How about the, being able to make some money off the fact that they're going to Alabama or they're going to Duke or whatever it's going to be? Start promoting opportunities and ways for that to become a thing and then stop, stop guaranteeing coaches' contracts at some level. Make it some sort of winning percentage, whether it's if they don't win, you know, 400% of their games. You know, you know what I'm saying? If their winning percentage isn't 400 or better, yeah, they need then, triggers. And the, then, yeah, then the buyout voids or the buyout cuts in half or whatever it is. To me, going 0-14 in the SEC and still getting a fully guaranteed buyout, that's just stupid. That's just dumb business. That's terrible business. And shame on college football for letting things get to that level. Any, any closing thoughts? No, I, I completely agree with that uh, all the way. I mean, the fact that, like I said before, I think it's an issue with the negotiation side of the college not pushing more uh, for for those entities, whether it's a trigger, uh, number of wins, or the win percentage. Well, I, or, you know this. You know, I, they, they just haven't had to. 
life's been so good. Yeah. For college football for so long. I mean, the money's just been pouring in. And like I said, they don't have to, they don't have to try to get fans in the seats. It's just, it's such a traditional thing. Um, this is kind of their first really major step back. And yeah, it's sort of like a stock market crashing in a sense, yeah. you know, with the, the bubble bursting with the, the housing market. This is going to be a bubble bursting for what I'm saying. There's going to have to be some athletics. adjustments. They're going to have to yep. adjust in some pattern and at least safeguard themselves to some degree from any kind of instance of this happening again. And some of that will have to be an adjustment in the budget. You know what I mean? There's going to, there's just going to have to be some sort of pop, some sort of petty cash put aside now. And oh, by the way, it's bittersweet, but I think from the player's perspective, I mean, I, I guess to some degree, I equate it to kind of the racial situation happening right now amidst this pandemic, right? Those two things happening together, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. When people feel pressured or or, or, or having to adjust their lives, kind of everything comes to the surface. The fact that college football is going through this financial crisis right now, and oh, by the way, we just real, you know, we just found out now that players can start to earn on their likeness. That happened this year as well. That's all in the same year. To me, that's a that, that's a double punch. Players should really be able to capitalize on this. Athletes should be able to capitalize on the fact that colleges are going to have to adjust their financial situations over the next eighteen months. There's no question they're going to have to do it. So they should get them themselves built into that. It should be a part of the conversation as they build back up and get this money back somehow. So. All right. Good. Yeah, I think, I, good. I, I think, I think on top of that is universities are going to have to rethink not only just football and basketball, Ugh. but how all of their college sports are allocated. Don't go there. And <laughs> I, so I'll just say that, I, you know, we talked about the continuing development of women's sports, quote unquote, from the FSU and, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I think as a whole, Don't universities go spend that and colleges, $5 million all at once. They're going to have to uh, really think of because those are those are student athletes. Those are athletes that are coming to your your university to play. They are a face, whether it's you know softball or rowing or tennis or golf or whatever it may be. It's still a face that they're promoting at some level. So I think to finish off my comment here is colleges are going to have to, at some point, if this, with this bubble bursting for them, they're going to have to really focus on how to truly promote themselves. And it'll be interesting to see what college or university steps up and says, Oh, we're really going to hunker down on trying to, you know, make things a little more efficient and a little more fair moving forward. Guess who's going to be very, very successful at promoting their likeness and using social media intelligently and, and, and brand awareness and product placement. Guess who's going to be really successful at that, Scott? Women. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the things Women. that have been coming. Female but, athletes. They're going to have yeah. mentors. You know, you're going to have your, your Venuses and your Serena's and, and your Alex Morgans and those kind of people who are dying. I mean, they're already a part of this women's movement. You're going to have them being right there at these college athletes side, helping them with the stuff, you know, getting their, getting them in interviews and stuff with, with Nike and, and those kind of promoters. Women are going to crush this player likeness situation. They're going to crush it. They're going to be all over social media. They're going to be the faces of some of these colleges and they're going to have to deal with it. So if you think women's sports is just going away because college football is missing a season, you're, you're just wrong. And like, I, like I said, this is the perfect time for some of these. Athletes. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. No, I know you're not. I'm saying if uh, you know, 
colleges themselves based on what I've read. But if you're a junior in high school right now and you're going to be going to college in two years and player likeness is going to be available to you, the ability to make money off your own, you know, endorsements, I hope you're doing the work. I hope you're doing the work right now to figure it out. I hope you're under, try, starting to understand social media as a business tool as much as possible. I hope you're you know, listening to the right people from podcasts and things like that. Get yourself ready for this because when that TV money comes in in 2023 and 24, like, I'm, like I've read, when, when ESPN doubles their endorsement in college football, you're going to want to be there to pounce because that college is going to be ready for you. I promise. This is not going away forever. All right, Scott, NBA, anything quickly on the NBA to talk about? Uh, this nothing is the last week of these yeah. uh, seating. Yeah, nothing, nothing really financial. Uh, things have been really quiet. Are we even seeing transactions? Part. No, we haven't. Nothing, no. right? I mean, there's nobody in and out of the nope. bubble, really. You can't really do that stuff, so. Nope. They've... They've had zero, zero positives. They've, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see some of the teams that know they're in sort of rest some players. Um, but I think as this postseason continues, um, I think we'll see more information regarding some financials as we get closer towards the end. I think probably as the NBA has done for the last few months here, they sort of hold their cards close to them as far as their financials. They probably are waiting to see, you know, are these series going to go six, seven games because those extra games are going to potentially be extra millions of dollars of revenue. Are they waiting they, to see or are they helping the cause? <laughs> hey, <laughs> is the envelope frozen or not? <laughs> um, Maybe they can bring but, back a couple of referees they used to have that used to help the cause. But as we get closer, it, it's going to be definitely interesting to see. Uh, we're going to do some NBA stuff here as we get closer, but you know, free agents, what uh, 2017 draft uh, players are going to mm-hmm. be eligible for extensions. And there, there is a handful of, extension eligible players that are definitely going to see some nice paydays um, that could sign early here. Uh, and then what what is the outlook going to be if this cap does drop? Like I said, we've left the site at 115 for next year. Uh, that could likely come down to what it is this year. It could go lower. I, we just, we're not updating it until we have some solid information. Uh, yeah. So as People look on the site; those values are going to stay as is for. They're right jaded now. because it, there's almost no way it's going to increase. Um, on that note, right. I I dropped the NFL cap for next year down to 175 because that's what the NFL basically said was going to be the bare minimum. They won't go under 175, so we're I've got the worst case scenario up there right now. Hopefully, that comes up closer to the 198 we're at right now. But when you're looking at NFL stuff for next year, that's where we're at there. A couple other things we're going to focus on here in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to take a look at some uh, baseball players who are available for extensions and try to evaluate them a little bit. The baseball trade deadline is in 21 days. (laughs) Um, And that is, I mean, just start to think about that just from a logistical standpoint. The, The season's already a third of the way done, essentially. There's a slew of players who really haven't even gotten going yet. I mean, Frankie Lindor is batting like a buck fifty right now. I mean, some of these superstar players really haven't gotten the bat off their shoulder yet. I, you know, if you're a 500 team, 
what the heck do you do with this deadline? If you've got a couple expiring contracts on your team, you know, are there, are we going to have more trades, way less trades? Uh, I, I mean, there's more playoff spots, by the way. So there's a, you, you know, you can sneak in if you can. Well, and the, inter- the injuries that are happening. And the injuries that, too. that are happening. Every pitcher in the league here, is injured. Yeah, I just saw another one. Charlie Morton is put on the injured list with inflammation in his right shoulder today. So. And, I know, and I know Bumgarner is going <laughs> to see a specialist today as well. So, uh, look, that's all going to be a part of the conversation, too. But. 21 days into the trade deadline. It's going to be really interesting. We'll definitely have a show regarding that. And outside of that, we're just going to keep our, uh, our, you know, a pulse on football as they continue on with camps here and push towards the regular season. It's going to be plenty of roster cuts we'll keep up with. I would imagine plenty more trades as well as people kind of figure out what's going on and or COVID-19 positives come in. I mean, look at that's going to force a lot of teams' hands. Yes, there's going to be an expanded practice squad, so there'll be a lot more up and down from that. But, you know, you lose a starting defensive end or a starting running back, you're going to have to probably acquire somebody either off of off of the streets or via trade. So I expect if football can get off the ground, to be there'd be a lot more movement this year because, I mean, similar, look at what the Marlins just, the Marlins just had to rebuild half of their entire roster on the fly over a weekend. We saw them do it. So it was... Uh, it's a unique year. There's nothing normal about this year and all the sports are going to have to kind of flex and bend accordingly just to kind of stay alive. We'll keep our pulse on the NFL as well. Okay. My thanks to Scott Allen. My thanks to hit parade, visit dacardworld.com. Get yourself a mystery memorabilia box with all these superstar autographs available to you. My thanks to dynasty owner, check out dynastyowner.com or grab the app on your app store today for a fantasy football dynasty edition. And my thanks to The Athletic. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.